Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Sometimes when we find ourselves in difficulty or trouble, we run off to the wrong place for help. And we find that we get into all kinds of trouble. And we ultimately find that, you know, they couldn't help us. They couldn't deliver. They promised, but it never came through. And so the Lord says, no, don't do that. Just rest and and be confident in me. Trust in me. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 24 through 30. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Paul, though, interestingly, quotes this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and he uses this passage to talk about the gift of tongues and to give some correction to the Corinthians on their misunderstanding of the gift of tongues. And so it's, it's interesting the way the apostle uses it. It's a different context but he pulls it out and he applies it to that situation. So the word of the Lord will come to them, law after law, law after law, line after line, line after line, a little here and a little there. So they go stumbling backward to be broken, trapped, and captured. So the the word's gonna come to them, but they're not going to comprehend it. That's the idea. And so... When we come to, to chap, uh, verse 14, though, again, it gets quite interesting. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. For you said, we have made a covenant with death, and we have an agreement with Sheol. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, it will not touch us because we have made falsehood our refuge and have hidden behind treachery. So the prophet says that they've, they're fooling themselves, basically. They're thinking that they're not going to be judged. And they're actually even saying, oh, you know, sarcastically, like, no, we made a covenant with death. Don't worry. Death, death's got nothing on us. We made a deal. And that's how um, hardened their hearts were against the word of the Lord coming through Isaiah. And so the Lord speaks and he says, look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. And I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the mason's level. Hail will sweep away the false refuge and water will flood your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be dissolved and your agreement with Sheol will not last. He's saying, whatever you think, actually, you're going to be judged. You think you've made a deal with death? Well, I'm going to dissolve that deal, and I'm going to judge you. But then right in the middle of that, as the Lord often does, he holds out hope for those who will trust in him. 
And so right in the middle there in verse 16, therefore the Lord God said, look, I have laid in Zion a tested stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation, and the one who believes will be unshakable. This is a prophecy of the Messiah. This is a prophecy of Jesus. And Paul quotes this in Romans chapter nine. He quotes it as referring to Jesus. And so even though The point is, even though judgment is going to come upon Jerusalem, those who trust in the Messiah, those who trust in this one who is the precious cornerstone, the sure foundation, those who believe will be unshakable. So the judgment will not touch them. Now, remember, as we look at these judgments, we talked about how they're... um, they're near judgments, they're further distant judgments, and then they're way, way out in history, haven't even happened yet. But we know that the Babylonians would come and they would ransack and destroy and wipe out the city. But we know that the people would come back, but we know that the Romans would come and do the same thing. But it was during the Roman era that the precious cornerstone had arrived. And remember, Jesus said about himself when he was speaking to the religious leaders, he said, haven't you read this, that the stone that was rejected by you builders has become the cornerstone? And that is pointing to this passage, among others, but it's pointing back to this. But I love, what I love about this passage right here is where it says, the one who believes will not be shaken. You can also translate that the one who believes will never be put to shame. And you can also translate it, the one who believes will never be disappointed. And I can't tell you how many times that has spoken to me. You know, if you trust in the Lord, you'll never be disappointed. God will never let you down. That's the great word from Isaiah 28 right here. We can trust in the Lord. Now, again, as we carry on, it's talking about the judgment, the catastrophe that's gonna come. And then in verse 21, I want you to see this. For the Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perizim. He will rise in wrath as at the Valley of Gibeon to do his work, his unexpected or his strange work and to perform his task, his unfamiliar task. This is important because this is referring to the judgment that God's going to bring. And he refers to it as his strange task. You see, God does not delight in judging. The Lord said, I have no no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So, For God, judgment is a strange thing in the sense that it's not the thing that he wants to do. He prefers to have mercy. He prefers to save. He prefers that people turn and repent. And even when we think of our world today, I often think about just this truth because the world is certainly primed for judgment. There's no question about it. But we sometimes wonder, well, why hasn't God judged yet? Well, he's reluctant to judge. He will judge one day, but he's reluctant to. It's not his 
favorite thing to do. He doesn't delight in it. And when I think about that, it gives me a little bit of hope for even our current situation. That, you know, things are bad. And it looks like judgment could be right on the doorstep. And in some ways, it, it's, you know, it's already manifesting itself in, in the fact that God, one of the ways God judges people is he uh, leaves them to themselves and to their own devices and they self-destruct. And that's an indirect way that God judges. But when we think about the current situation and we wonder, well, what might the Lord do? And is it the time of judgment hasn't come? Maybe, but maybe there's mercy ahead. And because judgment is God's strange work, I like to plead for mercy and say, Lord, you know, Please work again in these days. I always think of that passage in one of the prophets. And it's Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, Habakkuk sees the day of judgment coming. And he recognizes it's inevitable. But he says this, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And I love that. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Judgment is inevitable, but, but God can, can have mercy along the way. And, you know, you think historically, you think of like we studied the reign of Josiah. Remember, the nation was racing toward judgment. And Manasseh had been the king and he was 55 years. He was the worst king ever. And it just seemed like, you know, everything is, it's over. And in some ways, the destiny was sealed for the nation, but there was a season of mercy. God raises up Josiah, and there's actually a fresh work of God in the land. And so when I think about America, when I think about Britain, when I think about the Western world, when I think about the world in general, I just think, Lord, since judgment is your strange work, since this isn't really what you want to do, I'm just praying that you will have mercy in our days. And so I think we can, we're on good ground as we pray for that. So let's jump over to chapter 29. Woe to Ariel, Ariel, the city where David camped, continue year after year. Let the festivals recur. I will oppress Ariel and there will be mourning and crying and she will be to me like an Ariel. So Ariel is a name for another name for Jerusalem here. The word Ariel can mean either altar hearth or lion of God. And, but it, it's clearly a reference to Jerusalem. It's the city where David dwelt. And so this is, we're back into the future judgments that are gonna come. And remember, the judgment of Jerusalem comes under the, the Babylonians, which is still a long ways out. But woe to Ariel, and then all the way through here, chapter 29, he's talking about just the, the fact that this judgment is going to come. And then we'll pick up in verse 10 where it says, for the Lord has poured out on you an overwhelming urge to sleep. He has shut your eyes, the eyes of the prophets, and covered your heads, the heads of the seers. For you the entire vision will be like the words of a sealed book. It is, if it is given to one who can read, 
and he asks to read it, he will say, I can't read it because it is sealed. And if the book or the document is given to one who cannot read and he is asked to read it, he will say, I can't read. The Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me and human rules direct their worship of me. Therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of the wise will vanish and the perception of the perceptive will be hidden. And so maybe this passage sounds familiar to you. Jesus quoted this in relation to the generation that was there resisting him. And so God, again, because of persistent resistance, he is going to let them go on in that resistance. So there's like a a deep sleep that's come upon them. They can't even comprehend. They can't even uh, grasp the word of the Lord. They're, They're blinded to it, but they've been blinded to it because of their own heart condition. And this is fulfilled in a extraordinary way at the time of Jesus with the religious leaders of the day. That's why Jesus quotes the passage here and applies it to them. And so moving on, verse 15, woe to those who go to great lengths to hide their plans from the Lord. They do their work in the dark and say, who sees us? Who knows us? You have turned things around. This is the Lord speaking. You have turned things around or uh, another way you could say is, hey, you've got it backwards. Um, you have turned things around as if the potter were the same as the clay. How can what is made say about its maker, he didn't make me? How can what is formed say about the one who formed it, he doesn't understand what he is doing? Boy, that sounds like uh, some voices that we hear these days, right? But God says, uh, you got it all backward. He's, he's, the, um, he's the potter, And then he goes on, uh, isn't it true that in just a little while, Lebanon will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest. On that day, the deaf will hear the words of the book or the document. And out of the deep darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The humble will have joy after joy in the Lord and the poor people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So back and forth, judgment and mercy, judgment and mercy. So here's another mercy passage. And then talking about pretty much the same thing on through the remainder of the chapter, but now let's get to chapter 30. And here God is speaking to the nation and warning them not to put their trust in Egypt. So instead of listening to the Lord and obeying the Lord, they're basically saying, no, the Egyptians are going to help us. We, we don't have to worry. We're okay. And so, woe to the rebellious children. This is the Lord's declaration. They carry out a plan, but not mine. They make an alliance, but against my will, piling sin on top of sin. Without asking my advice, they set out to go down to Egypt in order to seek shelter under Pharaoh's protection and to take refuge in Egypt's shadow. I mean, think about the irony of that. Remember, God delivered the people out of Egypt. And when he delivered them out of Egypt, he said, never go back there again. 
And now, faced with fear of the Assyrian invasion, instead of turning to the Lord and trusting to him, they're saying, no, we're going to go to Egypt and we're going to trust in Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to take care of us. And this is the, uh, the issue that God has with them now, that they're persisting in refusing to depend on him and they're planning to put their hope in the Egyptians. And so the Lord is just telling them that that's going to fail. Verse 12, therefore the Holy One of Israel says, because you have rejected this message and have trusted in oppression and deceit and have depended on them, the iniquity of yours will be like a crumbling gap, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse will come in an instant suddenly. Its collapse will be like the shattering of a potter's jar crushed in pieces. It's interesting how Isaiah gives all these vivid images, these illustrations that people would be you know, completely familiar with, things that they would just see around them. He uses these kinds of illustrations. And then he says, he goes on and he's talking about you know, how this is, all this calamity is going to come. And then in verse 15, it says, for the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said, you will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet and confidence, but you are not willing. This is such a great passage, but when you look at the context, you realize that it's an unfortunate situation where this statement is made. But it's a great passage, and I personally have taken a lot of comfort in this at times, where the Lord says, in returning and rest, your strength will lie in quiet confidence. You know, it's just a great word at times when we're in a crisis or we're just in stressed out or whatever, and the Lord just says, you know, return, rest, and be, be quiet, and trust me, and, and that's where your confidence will be. That's so good, and we can take that, and we can lay hold of it and believe it and profit from it. But unfortunately, the people that it was spoken to didn't do it. They refused to do it. No, no, we don't, we don't want to do that. We, we got our plan. We're gonna, the Egyptians are going to help us out. We know that they're powerful. Uh, they're going to take care of it. And yet they were not able to do that. And, you know, a lesson there that we can take away is that we want to trust the Lord in the end. You know, let's not be putting our, our trust in other things. And sometimes, sometimes we do that. Sometimes when we find ourselves in difficulty or trouble, we run off to the wrong place for help. And we find that we get into all kinds of trouble. And we ultimately find that, you know, they, they couldn't help us. They couldn't deliver. They promised, but it, it never came through. And so the Lord says, no, don't do that. Just rest and, and be confident in me. Trust in me. Oftentimes when we come into challenging or difficult kinds of things, that's when we're vulnerable to temptation too because sometimes the enemy comes along with what looks like a solution, but the solution has built into it a compromise. So yeah, we'll take care of this, but you've got to do this. And you know it's a compromise. You know it's something like, well, I don't know. That's probably not right. But then you can rationalize it. Then you can sort of, well, it'll probably be okay. 
don't even go there. Just stop and just say, no, we're going to trust the Lord. And it, it might even look like, well, that's not a very smart thing to do right now. I mean, here's a person who's promising that they can get you out of this predicament. But, you know, there's that element to it that you're just like, I, I don't know, that's not right. You're right. That's not right. So don't go there. Trust the Lord. That's what they wouldn't do, unfortunately. So going on, pick up in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord is waiting to show mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God and all who wait patiently for him are happy. Oh, that's so good. All who wait patiently for him. You know, Isaiah, the many times in Isaiah's prophecy, this is a reoccurring theme. Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And it's not just in Isaiah. It's all over the Bible, as a matter of fact, because that is something that we need to learn to do. We need to trust in the Lord. And I love what he says here. All those who wait patiently for him are happy. It, it again goes back to that idea. No one's ever going to be disappointed who waits on the Lord. Just, just wait. Just trust. You won't be disappointed. Oh, but you're being tempted right now to act because you're going to be disappointed if you don't act because you're going to miss this opportunity. You're going to miss this thing that's come along. But no, the Spirit says, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Trust and wait. Trust and wait because all who wait patiently for him are happy. Now, you'll be happy if you wait. You will be miserable if you don't wait because you'll get yourself in a situation with the Egyptians and they can't help you. And not only can't they help you, but they're going to make the situation worse. And so really quickly, just finishing up here, for the people who live on Zion and Jerusalem, you will never weep again. He will show favor to you at the sound of your outcry as soon as he hears. He will answer you. The Lord will give you meager bread and water during oppression, but your teachers will not hide any longer. Your eyes will see your teachers, and whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. So just that promise of God's guidance as we trust him. There'll just be like that voice. This is the way. Walk in it. God is faithful to guide us in that way. And then you will defile your silver-plated idols, your gold-plated images. You will throw them away like menstrual cloths and call them filth. And so on that day, as you trust the Lord, the idols, you're going to just cast them aside. And that's what you want to do with idols. You want to cast them aside. Now, in verse 27, on through the remainder of the chapter, we have, once again, God speaking about the judgment that will come upon the Assyrians. And so the Assyrians are going to conquer the northern kingdom, remember, and they're going to attempt to conquer Jerusalem, but they're going to fail. And uh, we're going to get to that actual story when we get to chapter 36 through 39. That's the story of the Assyrian attempt to overthrow Jerusalem. 
of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Jesus History? by Dr. John Dixon. Living in an age of science and empirical evidence, how can people still believe in miracles? How can someone believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? The resurrection of Jesus is essential for the Christian faith. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then an offer for eternal life does not carry any authority. So, is there any historical evidence that can be examined to test the authenticity of such a claim? Dr. John Dixon addresses this very question and examines the ancient evidence as a trained historian. He explains the evidence simply and clearly, so you'll be able to consider the evidence for yourself. If you've ever wondered if there's any historical evidence for the existence of Jesus and His resurrection, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon. Is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.